0: into this i've got a psalm up here for us to read let me read this to you this morning it says "O god from my youth you have taught me and i still proclaim your wondrous deeds so even to the old or to old age and gray hairs O god do not forsake me until i proclaim your might to another generation that's powerful isn't it your power to all those to come your righteousness O god reaches the high heavens you who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You, have, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of your, or the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me. What a promise. You will increase my greatness and you will comfort me. This psalm, we could go many different ways this morning as if we unpack this. But I want to focus ultimately on that verse there. Until I proclaim your might to another generation. Everyone say generation. generation. All right, your generation's the best, right? I'm going to win lots of friends if I say that. Of course, your generation's the best generation. If I said my generation's the best generation, you'd all throw something at me except for those who are exes. Raise your hand if you're an ex. Look at that. Hey, I've got some friends in the house today. Praise the Lord. Okay, um, and the one after you is always, you know, they're the juvenile delinquents, right? Yeah, so all the wires in the room, still delinquents in my eye. No, 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 not at all, not at all, not at all. Uh, and well, I think we're up to Gen Z, and I think there's a new one. What's the new one that's going to happen? The babies that are being born now. This is a bit scary. We go from millennials to zennials to, oh my gosh, Lord help us! <laughs> no, 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 they'll be fine. That's right, it's the COVID babies, isn't it? Like, look out. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but your generation's the best. It's just you can't argue with that, right? But we've been working through this series called Transforming Your Church, and uh, and unpacking. Uh, seven shifts that need to happen to remain relevant in the 21st century. Now we're 20 years in, 21 years into this century and, and uh, it's good to be unpacking this now because it's great reminders but at the same time it's encouraging because the Lord's been leading us in all of these areas up to date. So we've looked at things like uh, a power shift. You know, you remember that one? That was prayer, wasn't it? We looked at a priority shift, shifting from our own personal priorities they seeing the kingdom of God advance. Um, a program shift, moving from programs to ministry and getting outside of the four walls. A program shift. Um, it was the next one. Leadership shift. And then a ministry shift. Seeing that, that uh, those two things happening, that, that we empower the body to works of ministry. That we're all called to lead and we're all called to minister. And then last week we looked at a worldview shift. And uh, we had to change the lenses a bit. But today... We get to look at this one, shift number seven, the last one in our series, a generation shift. A generation shift. And generation speaking in church is not the easiest thing to speak to. Because it's very easy to offend people when you're talking this way, right? Because, like I said, your generation's the best. Okay? So in that, in that you, you, you're all supposed to come back to me and say, "Steve, your generation's the best," and we all agree then that Generation X is the best. No, that. Move on, but generations, because I could focus my talk completely to the youth, right? Those who are under 18 years of age, and we could focus it completely on that, and it'll be completely irrelevant to the people who were in the room who are older than what we would classify in today's day and age as youth offending myself in that okay because I'm definitely not youth even though I might look a bit youthful today or I could focus it on the older generations and therefore the youth will tune out right so you've got this dilemma within churches all the time because church is actually multi-generational right but there's one unifying factor here that I want us to capture. And I'll talk about generations in a moment. You'll understand that while there are generations in the world, there are also generations in God. And in fact, in the room, there's only one generation in God. You're either talking to the righteous generation or the evil generation. And I think I'm talking to the righteous generation today. Is that right? Amen. Are you you happy that you're part of the righteous generation of God? We'll get to that in a minute, yeah? Because obviously you're still not warm. Warm up your vocal cords, okay? I know you couldn't warm them up by singing today, but we can warm them up with a hearty amen or a yes or whatever you feel like saying that's encouraging. Right. So this last that works. Actually, that encourages me more than you think, but that's fine. Um, the last strategic shift as a church uh, we have to implement and have been implementing is a leadership shift in a sense of generational shift, but cross-generationally we have to understand the importance of the generation of the righteous. And uh, it is a shift in practicalities from older to younger, but that doesn't mean that that's a negative thing. I want to I want to embrace it in a positive way if we can today. It's not about age. Can we say that? It's not about age. Say it. Speak it with me. It's not about age, because then I know you're going to be on the same page. It's not whether or not you're an older person or a younger person, because every older person in the room was once a younger person. And all the older people go, Amen, as they think back to... Their delinquent years following the Beatles (laughs) or the Rolling Stones, or uh, in my sense, you know, the song of my day was uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Uh, Kate's laughing at me already because she's there as well. Uh, You know, like the songs of the generation, we all remember them, okay? Uh, So the older people in the room were once delinquents, and the delinquents in the room are going to be one day older people, right? Get that offence out of the way straight away, all right? So if you're a younger person in the room, I'm going to say if you're a younger person today, it's it's you're below the age of 25, okay? Younger person. If you're older than the age of 25, then I'm referring to you all as older people. That way I'm offending more older people than I am younger people, okay? And no, it's older, not old. Reuben said you're not old till you're 80. Oh, no, I shouldn't (laughs) throw him under the bus, should I? Anyway, all good. Sorry, bro. (laughs) All good. So it's not a shift about age, it's actually a shift that has vision and future in mind. Does that make sense? And, and if you're, if you're going to focus on it from a perspective of age, then that's going to reveal something in your spirit that you need to work out with God because you shouldn't be walking away thinking, oh, it's all over, it's done, I'm, I'm finished. You should be thinking, wow, what's the vision of God? Where's he heading in the future and how do I play a part in that? Make sense? So, when it's all said and done, God himself is a cross-generational God. Hallelujah. His focus isn't on the next or the new. It's not on the old or the ancient. I thought I'd get a hallelujah from someone there. He is God in all generations. He introduces himself on numerous occasions in the Old Testament as what? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob, so he introduces himself as a cross-generational God with three generations to the next two generations. So it's five or six generations impacted by this covenantal God who thinks cross-generationally. Does that make sense? He's not interested just in Gen X because if he was interested only in Gen X, then the church would die. He's a cross-generational church, God. He he wants to unite the generations to become more passionate and empowered within history and into the future. Look, Look at this. Churches that are successful at bringing a kingdom mentality embrace the challenge of bringing the gospel to the next generation. You want to remain relevant as a church, you want to remain on the cutting edge, you want to continue to be successful in implementation of the kingdom of God, the focus is the gospel and presenting it to the next generation. True? A church that stagnates because they do not embrace the changes necessary to embrace the next generation will eventually close. So if the generation before me didn't reach me and then I didn't reach the generation below me. Now, obviously, we're thinking inclusively of our own generations as well and cross, but just say generation X was not met with the gospel, generation Y and everyone after that wouldn't be sitting in the church today. Breaking the cycle of the cross generational God and that has a massive impact, doesn't it? Just think about what that does when a generation isn't one for the kingdom of God. So how important is it for the church to continue to adopt a mentality of kingdom which adopts a mentality of change? Because if you don't change, you can never win the generation below you. You could continue to listen to the Beatles offending your own children and their children And telling their children that what they're listening to on the radio is absolutely rubbish because they've got different messages, right? So it's the same within the kingdom context. It is a commitment to reach our children and their children while knowing full well that God values us and our journey in the process. That's what it is to be mature within your generation. It's about embracing the call to witness and to win the next seeking to pass on the baton and knowing when this is successful, our job is still not done. Those in older generations, hear me, I'm speaking to myself, remember, those in older generations are valuable to the purposes of God and His church. Amen? I'm going to talk a bit about that a little bit later on, but let's see quickly what is a generation. Simply, a generation is a group of people of like nature, either by age or distinguishing characteristics. All right? So even within our generations nowadays, we're getting subgroups within generations. Okay? Uh, even more so with, with the last two generations than we've had in the past. Probably the last three generations than we have in the past. This includes within biblical context, the evil generation or the righteous generation. Okay, But I thank God that within this generation, in this room, the majority of you, if not all, are part of the righteous generation. Not because you were born at at, at a specific time, but because Jesus was born at a specific time. Not because you lived a certain life, because Jesus lived a certain life and he died a certain death that you could be included in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? So we are one generation under God even though in a worldly sense we are multi-generational. I think that's an encouraging thought. Because that's a very unifying thing. Because it's based upon Christ, is that right? Not based upon my attitudes, not based upon my worldview, not based upon the ins and the outs of my culture or my generation but based upon his righteousness Isaiah 41 4 says uh yep Who, who has performed and done this calling the generations from the beginning and he answers and he says i the lord the first and with the last i am he so generations is not a new concept it's an ancient concept that god himself has put in play so It's something, if we get an understanding of it, can help us to have trust and understanding in God. God has called the generations from the beginning and God is carrying out his purposes through the generations of the righteous. Each of us need to have a sense of destiny in our hearts and we must see ourselves as part of God's unfolding plan throughout the ages. Not separate entities of past or future. Separate, not separate, separate. This is the generation of the righteous which seeks God and seeks to reveal God in a way that each generation of the world will understand. So as part of the generation of the righteous, we each have a responsibility before God. Turn to your neighbour and say, I'm responsible. And if you laugh at them, (laughs) then we'll deal with that later, right? I'm responsible, right? So John, you can say that back to me, I'm responsible. Yeah. So we've all got a responsibility before God, okay? Number one, we've all got a responsibility before God as the generation of the righteous to discern and accomplish the will of God for our generation. How do you do that? In prayer, in uh, studying of the word, in uh, sitting with people uh, who are encouraging you and uh, submitting to the Holy Spirit, that you would be led in that way. When, when we discern and accomplish the will of God for our generation, that's a proclamation and a partnering with God that you and I were born for such a time as this. It means we've got something to live for. We each have a race to run, a role to play, and a revelation of Jesus to reveal to those around us. We are to give ourselves to discovering and passionately pursuing our unique destiny. Just like David did. Um, Acts 13.36 says, For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? To serve the purposes of God in your generation and falling to sleep in the peace of Christ waking and hearing those words well done good and faithful is that not the goal of our life I think that's a real thing David did that and that links us to Psalm 71 which is what we opened up with oh God do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation your power to all those to come you see it it was in the heart of David if it was in the heart of David where did he get that from he got that from sitting with God in worship. He got that from sitting with God in writing his, his songs of praise. The second is that we need to rebuild the foundations from past generations. This means every generation has a responsibility to reach back and receive an inheritance from those who have gone before. We did not begin this race. We simply carry it on. I think that's awesome. This race has been going for over 2,000 years. And the baton gets, char- gets, gets exchanged from generation to generation. And while that baton's being exchanged and passed on, the people passing it on are not now saying, my race is over, my job is done. They're there in the background going, hey, this is what we learnt. This is what's happening. And they're cheering you on to run the race with enthusiasm. Or in a sense, in a kingdom mindset, we should be. We would not be where we are today if it was not for the prayers, victories and revelations of those who have gone before us. This is a cry to those younger in the house to value the history and victories of those who have gone before you and honour them for the wisdom they can impart. Because we must discover our value, our roots and our heritage and in doing so, You've heard me say it before. It's on those victories that we launch from in our generation. Uh, so the old things around uh, new wineskins or, or uh, digging the, the old wells, those sort of Old Testament biblical pictures that we get are all about discovering the victories that are already ours in Jesus that those who have gone before us have uncovered and can speak into our life amen so we get to rebuild those things and 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 this is part of our responsibility the third one is to pass on truth to the next generation and guide them into a personal experience with god so we get to sit with god we get to sit with those who have gone before us and we get to impart to those who are coming after us only a cross-generational god could be that wise Each generation is responsible to pass on the baton of God's purpose onto the next generation. God requires us to leave a a heritage and an inheritance for those who will follow after us. Psalm 71 also says, uh, as Psalm 71 says, but also 78, Psalm 78 verse 4, we will not hide them from their children. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done done how important is the testimony how important is your story in building the next generation i think it's extremely important so if god's got a plan for your life we've got this person you know we call him the accuser we call him the great satan whatever the bible wants to call him his job is to accuse you as the brethren of god his job is to uh Undo the work of God in your life. His job is to stop the church. In other words, stop the generations from imparting the goodness of God. <clears throat> we must be alert to his schemes. He is sneaky. And the picture I got when I was thinking about his sneakiness was good old Wiley Coyote. Think about old Wiley. Scheming, planning his good old TNT box, pulling it out, his bird seed that he puts on the road. Am I speaking to the right generations here or what? You know, I remember Wiley. If I remember Wiley, you know, he's a bit older than me, so good old Wiley Coyote. But what happens? Bang, the TNT goes off and the rock falls on his head, not on the Roadrunner's head. I think what a great picture you can pull from good old Roadrunner. Roadrunner did what roadrunners do best. They run on roads. Think about it in his picture. Meep, meep, off he goes. He makes a mockery of the devil, of old Wiley, not by focusing on Wiley, but by focusing on the target, on the goal. In our case, on God. Not getting distracted by the seed or the trap that was set, but focused on the race that was to run. The devil traps himself up in his schemes all the time. gets caught in his own trap. So I learn a lot just thinking about that around my journey because the devil wants to trap me all the time. When I focus on Jesus, the traps and the snares, they become null and void in my life. Yeah. Now every now and then I might have a little trip up or something like that, but Good old Wiley hasn't got me yet. He hasn't got his claws into me yet. He's not sinking his teeth. He might be smacking his lips. and, hmm. But he hasn't got me yet. And then all of a sudden, meep, meep, and I'm out. Gone. Why? Because my focus is on Jesus. But you see, Satan's got these plans. And what are those schemes that you can learn from? What are they that you can learn from that will help you? As a young person in the room. And as an older person in the room who is ministering to younger people, you can be aware of these because you're a bit mature in your faith. You're a little bit further along and the devil shouldn't be as big a concern to you as he is currently for the next generation. There's always been enmity before God, uh, between God, sorry let me start that again. There's there has been enmity and conflict between Satan's offspring and the woman's ever since Adam and Eve. Gener- Genesis 3, 5, 15 says that. Peter tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. Revelation 12 pictures him as a great dragon, incredibly angry because he only has a short time left. His strategy can be simply observed, for example, by looking at a teenager and how she deals with her parents. The enemy will poison the younger person's thoughts to break the generational transfer of the knowledge and power of God. Satan wants to destroy each new generation of young people because they have the potential to subdue him. He uses things such as suicide, the occult, drug and alcohol abuse, violence, Satanism, immorality. His plan is to steal and kill and destroy. We've known that for a very long time since Jesus himself said it. Because his plan is to grab that generation and keep them from the purposes of God because if he can do that, then he stops the church in its growth. This is why your teenagers are under attack. This is why teenagers, you don't like your mum or your dad. It's a scheme of the devil and you've been caught in it. Oh, he has got his knife and fork out. Wendell Smith, a pastor in the 90s, wrote a seminar called The Dragon Slayer and I'd love to get a copy of it. But if not, I can trust the Holy Spirit will help me to study and maybe write one of my own. I will briefly summarise the battle zones of youth culture and I think this has definitely been so uh, for the last three if not four generations. But these are things five things that we need to understand are the battle zones of youth culture and by unpacking these you'll understand a little bit more about it. Number one, The battle zone of youth culture the first one is rebellion say that back to me rebellion oh everyone wants to rebel now satan takes advantage of young people's reaction to human authority and out of their hurt and hatred stirs up a spirit of rebellion against the authorities of god satan is the original rebel didn't you say that and when people rebel the sad truth is that they're cooperating with the spirit of Satan. Ephesians 2, 1-3 says it very plainly for us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. See that? Obeying who? The devil. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That's rebellion, isn't it? Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subjects, were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We were there once. We got out of that trap, praise God. Second Timothy 3 talks about the last days in the last days we're told in verse two of second timothy chapter three that people will be disobedient to parents it's not a new thing is it in encouraging young people to rebel against authority the enemy robs them of god's blessing and the potential of character development the big one isn't it kids rebellion destroys young people and it destroys the family 1 Samuel 15:23. I've used this passage of scripture a little bit in conversations of late, and for different reasons. But this is just as relevant right here, right now, in relation to rebellion as it is to some of the other conversations I've been having. But think of it in this context: 1 Samuel 15:23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And we all understand what witchcraft is. We all want to avoid it like the plague, right? None of us want to go and dip our toes in that cauldron. But yet, it's very easy to rebel. And here we have the prophet Samuel saying, it's the same as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as as iniquity and idolatry. So if we're stubborn, then it's like being an idolatrous generation. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Could you imagine, I think this was Saul at this case, could you imagine being rejected as the king? Because of what? Rebellion and stubbornness. Wow. You know what God's answer to rebellion is? Young people are going to hate me for this one. Yielding to God's authority. It's yielding control to him and his authorities. You can hate me or you can hate the word of God, whichever one is going to be, right? But if you wanna if you don't wanna be rebellious, then 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 you've got to trust God's wisdom. And young people who radically dedicate their lives to the loving lordship of Christ and obediently submit to the authority of his word, his spirit and his representatives are the ones who change a generation. God has put authority over our lives to develop character in us and provide covering and protection. Three amazing things, right? Covering, protection and character. Focuses of the family, I believe. God-ordained authorities include parents, and can't argue with me on these ones, Ephesians 6.1, the government, Romans 13.1-7 and 1 Peter 2.13-17. Teachers and employers, Colossians 322 and uh, sorry, but even church leaders, Hebrews 13:17. As I read out Hebrews 13:17, I want you to think about it. It's in the context of church leaders, but think about it in the context of your parents as well, right? Think about this: obey those who rule over you and be submissive. That sounds all right on its own, doesn't it? But here's the reason why: For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see? Authority is a tool in God's hand used to mature us in the journey. Young people need clear boundaries to live within and discipline when they cross over them. Teens need both privileges and responsibilities. I think some parents need to hear that as well, right? But that was all based on the basis of trust and character growth and those sorts of things, right? All of these need to be in the context of a loving relationship. Josh McDowell writes, rules without relationship equals rebellion. It's a big one, isn't it? The second one, battle zone of youth culture. Number two, immorality. It's a big one, this one. The search for affection offers lures young people into Satan's trap. I don't think I remember Wiley e. Coyote trying to use an attractive young bird to, uh, to entice the roadrunner. Is, is there ever an episode like that? There is. Oh, I'm going to have to go and Google that one now. I don't know. Ooh, here we go. So, immorality. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 3 to 4, that same passage, that people will be without self-control and lovers of pleasure towards the end. Now, towards the end, just as a little quick side note, I think the writer, Paul, had towards the end in mind when he wrote the letter. I don't think he had 2,000 years later. So every generation from the time of this letter being written, this passage has been relevant too. lovers of pleasure <laughs> how relevant was that to our generation your generation okay when you were going through the challenges of hormones and that beautiful guy over there that you're just starting to swoon over that's an old word isn't it swoon <sighs> look you're all going back there get out of it get out it's a trap Okay? Satan's plan is to destroy the family and rob children of a healthy environment. He does this through things such as conflict, abuse, divorce, and for many of us, busyness. I don't think there's been a busier generation than the current generations I'm talking to. Okay? young people with a shortage of love, approval, acceptance and affection will find them somehow. So much easier today with the temptations of smartphones and iPads and tablets and social media. Oh yeah, the the fear of missing out, exactly what it is. Thank you for that. That's really cool. So Satan's plan is to destroy the family and to rob children of a healthy environment. That's true, isn't it? Let me read this to us, page 152. Just, I couldn't say it any better than this, so it's just easy to read it. Youth culture has a strong sexual orientation and we live in a society that has gone sex mad. It is estimated that 94% of sexual encounters portrayed on television and in the movies are between people who are not married. Satan has taken the, what God created to be a lifelong beautiful relationship between two people and perverted it. There is great pleasure, uh, pressure on young people to conform to the world. The Bible clearly tells us that those who live immoral lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. It gets a bit heavy, doesn't it? Um, again, we reap what we sow, Galatians 6, 7-8. Sexual sin is a work of the sinful nature, Galatians 513 13-21, and if not repented of, can cause people to forfeit entrance into the kingdom of God. God's intention is that the family provides an environment of love, approval, acceptance and affection. Sexual desires are to be controlled before marriage. Once a young person reaches maturity, there they then enter marriage, free of hurts and scars to begin a family of their own. God's answer to to immorality and the search for affection is love expressed through selfless giving. Those who are truly freed from the bondage of sin and rebellion can experience the covenant relationships and pure affection of the body of Christ and learn to treat each other in love as brothers and sisters. Young people need to develop healthy brother-sister relationships where wholesome friendships can be built. They need to understand God's will for their life the various levels of friendship and the appropriate age and behaviour for each. Young people need to be taught the value of virginity and purity and the honour of marriage as God intended it to be, which you can find in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Those involved in a romantic relationship, I'm speaking to some here, no pointing fingers, just there are people, those involved in a romantic relationship need to understand the dangers and set goals and guidelines together to ensure that they act in a way which is pleasing to God, and, hear this, without defrauding each other. Mm. There needs to be a balance of time, words, and actions. A serious romantic relationship involving physical contact without any intention of marriage is an abuse of one another's emotions. Young people should be on guard against temptation and wrong or premature desires. First Thessalonians 4, 1-8, 1 Timothy 5, 1-2, 1 Peter 1, 22. So powerful, isn't it? And I could be speaking to people of my generation. I could be speaking to people of the generation after, or the generation now, or the generation next, or the generation that's gone long before, because these are the temptations of immorality that this, the enemy has brought against us. The third one, is sorcery, the search for the supernatural We're all young once, right? What was it? I dream of genie? That was one. blink. Got the wish you wanted? Yeah, that's the search for the supernatural might be or uh, uh, even science fiction Star Trek or Star Wars, if I say it, you know. Um, there's in the heart of every young person and I think this gets squashed by the time they hit their mid-twenties. I think we've often had it squashed out of us and I don't think it's God's intention to squash this hunger out of us. But there is a heart in every young person, a hunger for spiritual reality and a desire to experience the world of the supernatural. It's naturally inherent in them. In the last days, Timothy... Is written, 2 Timothy 3 5 by Paul, people will have a form of godliness but deny its power. The word sorcery, and another word that's been coming up of late, um, but I'm going to use it just in this context. So uh, the word sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakia. And when I was studying to be a pastor and the different things that I've had to go through running youth groups and all sorts of things, Pharmakia was used in relation to drug abuse, okay? Drug use and not the use of limited or legitimate medications. The reason I say that is because Dr. Luke wrote the third gospel within your Bible, right? He was a doctor, which means tradition holds and history holds that he was a physician. Now obviously their medications were very different to the medications we've got today, but I really don't i have I have a strong I have a strong struggle believing that Dr. Luke, the writer of the Gospels and the book of Acts, was into sorcery because he was a doctor like do you hear what I'm saying just because the word's used it's got to be used in the right context okay so in this case, even when learning about deliverance ministry, you will learn that pharmacia was used in relation to sorcery and divination and witchcraft, which is again in relation to drug use. What does that mean? Well, that, what that means is that there is an escape in this world or a doorway that will open the young people up to the supernatural, and that's drug and alcohol abuse, Right? It opens up to things that you are not supposed to see without the wisdom of God and the guidance of his Holy Spirit. But God has an answer to sorcery. Praise God for that, hey? He has an answer for the fake pursuit of the supernatural. And his answer is the Holy Ghost. And it's in the demonstration of faith. How can I say that? Well, in the book of Acts, I'm sure it's Ephesus, the Apostle Paul goes there and begins to present the gospel and signs and wonders follow him. Ephesus at the time was bound in witchcraft and sorcery and diviners of all kinds of contexts. And when the gospel was presented, they'd never encountered power like they had encountered by the Holy Ghost. And they converted to Christianity, gave their lives to God and they burnt their enchantments and their sorcery books, and all of that sort of stuff. Millions and millions, if not billions of dollars worth of information burnt because it was toward the supernatural, the way God didn't intend. When a young believer experiences the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power and his divine love, it makes all forms of the counterfeit appear like cheap knockoffs. So this is why the Holy Ghost is such an important topic when it comes to churches. Because if we're going to be a generation of the righteous, talking to one generation at the moment, he is relevant to all. And when we capture that as the older generations, now speaking to age brackets, when we capture how important the Holy Spirit is to our life and the ministry of the gospel of God, we can offer the younger generations something that is so much more powerful than any drug or any sorcery that is going around. And they will always run to the love of God over top of those things. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit and why it is such an important topic for us as a church. 1 Corinthians 4.20, up there I think it is, says, for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Right? Who wrote that? Paul, So Paul, who's written more than a third of the New Testament, has told us it's not in word, but it's in power, which tells us that the ministration of the Spirit of God and power that Paul administered and operated in was more important to him than the recording of the word or the preaching because it goes hand in hand. You need both to win the generations of the evil to the generations of the righteous. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, And my speech and my preaching were not with pervasive words, persuasive words, of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. It's a real thing. And when you encounter the power of God through the encounter of love, there is nothing like it. Young believers need to see and experience God's power in their lives which moves supernaturally through their spirit, soul and bodies. Amen. The fourth one is fantasy. I've got to get through these a bit quicker. Fantasy, the search for reality, whatever that might look like in the life of a young person. The heightened sense of mythology and science fiction is a prophetic fulfilment Of the scriptures in a subtle but powerful distraction to the mind of younger generations. My generation, Generation X and Generation Y, need to be careful that our interests in Marvel and DC, for example, do not distract us or influence our theology because of this subtlety. Mm -hmm. Comes back to what Hillsong Kids wrote Jesus is my superhero. (laughs) Okay, why would they do such a thing? Because Kids need to understand that Jesus is the best of them all. TV shows, streaming, video games, I'm going I'm to hurt you all, sorry. TV shows, streaming, video games, um, board games are all designed around fantasy, which is a distraction from the kingdom reality that we are to be. These things eventually dominate our time, becoming an escape from what is real. Too much will destroy families and church ministries and they take away from our responsibility to both. God's answer to this truth and ultimate reality, our minds must be transformed by the revelation of truth and the gospel and who we are in Christ, our position and our new creation reality. Amen. John 8, 31, 32, as it says up there, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in what? My word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the shall make you free. Amen. Okay, Uh, First Corinthians two four to five. If you uh, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourselves toward what? Who likes exercise? <laughs> right? Exercise means work, right? You can't exercise unless you're working. So what's it saying? Exercise, work yourself toward godliness. Praise God. What a good word, eh? <clears throat> the answer is to equip young Christians to not only read the Bible, but study it, and apply its truths in our daily lives. First Timothy 4, 6-7 If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yep. Life can be enjoyable and fun, but we must build it upon the basic principles of routine, discipline, work, and quality relationships. What does that mean? I'm going to kill eight hours today, playing PlayStation. That—that <laughs> that sounds like anyone's dream if you're in that age bracket, right? Meanwhile, your bedroom's a pigsty, and the kitchen needs cleaning, and Mum's pulling her hair out because she never sees her kid, or all this sort of stuff. And the distraction has got you in a reality that's a lie. On this side is the challenge to read the Word, spend time with Jesus, listen to your parents, uh, expressed in ministry within the church and outside the church, sharing the gospel. But I'm too busy to share the gospel. I'm very playing eight hours of PlayStation. I'm too busy to share the... The balance... I'm not saying this is wrong. If you did one hour and spent seven hours working on the rest of these things, you would have a reality that's worth living for instead of an escapism from what is your reality at that time. Does that make sense? Like God's not against fun. I've got to make that clear. But he doesn't want your life to be detrimental either. Now, i someone, idolatry. The search for a God. That should be a little g, God. Apologies there. Satan uses powerful and dynamic music. Here we go. That was the last one, wasn't it? Hey? I had to offend everyone. It's, Satan uses powerful and dynamic music to arouse desire in young people that manifests itself in idolatrous worship of people or things, deceiving young people to actually worship Satan. You know that, right? By worshipping an, another person, you're actually worshipping the spirit behind that person, which is definitely not God. Okay? That's idolatry. If you worship a thing, like a, a statue, it's the same thing. Idolatry. Um, I've got this passage for Second Timothy, Ooh, sorry, I've got this passage, Second Timothy, what I've been referring to, let's read it all, I'll read it to you. It says, but know this, that in the last days, so now, okay, as it was now back in Paul's time, in Timothy's time, now, so in this time, perilous times, will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, oh, I'm just thinking about the guys manscaping at the moment, do you know that, just as a side note, The Penrith Panthers team, the boys went out and had their eyebrows waxed before the grand final. How pretty is that? (laughs) I think that's cool. Anyway, um, so lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. This is a long list. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. I'm getting bad here. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such, people turn away. Young people in the room, I'm talking directly to you now. There are people in your life that these things are obvious and evident. And your mum or your dad or whoever's caring for you are saying to stay away from that person because they see this stuff and they don't want you having that stuff in their life, your life. Young people in the room, listen to your mum, listen to your dad. And if you can't listen to them, listen to me. Stay away from them, they will corrupt you. And your life, instead of going through this teenage period and only having a very short time of challenge and rebellion, it will go on for years because your loyalties will be to these kinds of people instead of the loyalties of your parents who are trying to bring you up in the ways of God. Can I say that with all honesty and integrity? Amen? Good. Because it's a very important thing. Stay and such people what? What? turn away because they're a danger to you at this stage. Okay? they will lead you into all sorts of things. We live in a world of hero worship made worse by reality TV. I had a joke about the block before, thinking that was probably the only wholesome one until this year. How disgusting has it become? But we do watch that on a Sunday night and the ad that's most played is worse love island Sarah and I obviously honestly we vomit feel like we're going to vomit every time that ad comes on television and it was on for months leading up to it and now it's on every 5 minutes do you hear what I'm saying the it's so perverse but music See, like TV for that culture, so for my generation and generations older, TV was sort of like that. But music has been cross-generational throughout the history. Music is the most important aspect of youth culture. That's why you can sing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit when I was 16, you know what I mean? Mark Connor says, It is a message-bearer, an identity-former, an emotional drug, a passive escape and a medium for a transcendent experience. It represents youth culture and is a powerful medium for their message. Music represents all the battle zones of youth culture. We've been through all five. Number one was rebellion. Number two was immorality. Number three was sorcery. Number four was fantasy. And number five was idolatry. Just think about the songs that might be on the radio at the moment. And now, for those of you older in the room, go backwards and think about the songs that were on the radio when you were a teenager. I'm not saying music's bad. Hear what I'm saying in context. Music is a carrier for these things. Okay? Um, God's answer is strong biblical based worship that is contemporary. That means that is current. Biblically based means it's founded upon the word of God and not some sense of immorality or whatever, but it's current. And I've got to speak here really openly and really honestly. If we are serious about the church reaching this current generation and the generation coming, contemporary worship is one of the means that that is available to us. So sometimes people get upset with some of the new songs that come in because they don't yet understand because it's it's a different kind of language. Us older generation people, we've got to understand that it's not a problem. I don't come to church because I sing a contemporary song. I come to church because I worship a contemporary God. (laughs) Right? Because he's now, the same as he was 2,000 years ago, the same as he was 2,000 years before that. He never changes, but the means of worshipping him does in the sense of the songs that we sing don't worry about that because I don't want to lose the things that we've gained through the years of worship, the 40-odd years that we've been a church. So our worship team, they know that they've got to sing some of the songs from the past or they've got to sing some of the older hymns because why? Because God's interested in every generation across the church. And I love when we're sitting here and we're singing and we end up singing one of those old hymns and everyone's voice lifts up. Have you heard that? I've heard it. And my soul, it just goes, wow. And it just glorifies God even more because you can't just do one. You've got to do it all. But for us older ones in the room, you've heard of things, right? You've come a long way. You might have an old vinyl at home that was the song list that you used to listen to when you first came to Christ pull out a new needle, plug it into your record player and put your album on there and listen to it. Here's your challenge for this afternoon. Here's your homework. I'm taking too long here, sorry. Here's your homework. Go home, pull out your old album, your old cassette tape, your old CD, I'm old enough to have all of those. Um, and for the, the contemporary ones, pull out your iPhone and listen to iTunes or Spotify if you're on Android, Right? Plug in your playlist, put your headphones on, turn it up loud through your sound system at home, whatever you've got. You might even have an old gramophone. I don't care how old it is. Right? Turn it up loud and worship Jesus this afternoon in those old songs that when you first came to Christ that you were listening to and you were banging your head to and you were tapping your toes to. Right? Why? Because music is such a powerful medium. It connects you to the story connects you to what Jesus has done. At that point, you remember what you were like and you remember what he saved you from. And as you walk through that journey, he will remind you of the victories that you have gotten along the journey. And what that does, it raises within you a praise to God that you didn't even think was possible. That's how powerful music is, right? Because it causes the saints of God to praise God. It doesn't have to be an evil thing. We get to redeem music. What an awesome thing that is. Amen? So that's my challenge to you today. What a simple thing to do. Go and find your old tapes and listen to them and bang out some good old songs. And if you can't, pull out an old bass and slap that for for the afternoon. (laughs) A couple of bass players in the room are going, yeah, that sounds like pretty good, right? Right? That's God's answer. Amen? I can skip all of this now, I've said all that. People of destiny. We need to be people of destiny. Older people in the room. Remember what you were doing when you first heard you needed to be a person of destiny? Part of being a person of destiny is to impart to those younger than you, amen? Let me read this. In recognising the battle zones youth are facing today... We cannot afford to simply deny, avoid or reject this new youth culture. As much as you want to turn the radio off, I tell you to do that because it's crap. But (laughs) don't tell your kids to turn it off. Just tell them to use wisdom, right? If it's expletive and rubbish, get the Holy Spirit on their case. We must seek to understand the world of young people and impart dynamic principles from God's word that will enable them to be overcomers. All the older people in the room, I'm an overcomer. I'm still here. I'm still coming to church. I'm still loving Jesus. I'm still reading his word. I still have a passion for God. Yeah. Even though you might be bringing up five and six-year-olds who are making you pull out your hair. Or you might have 15-year-olds who are challenging everything that you think you knew. But you're still here. You've still got breath in your lungs. You're still getting up every day. While you've got breath in your lungs, you should praise the Lord, right? Our goal must be to establish a sense of purpose and destiny in each young person's heart that will motivate them to seek to discover and fulfill God's purpose for their life. Each young person is born to win, to overcome, and to be a champion. Young people, that's your destiny. God is the ultimate victor, hallelujah, and he wants us to partake of his power and victory, even in the face of overwhelming odds. Joshua did it at Jericho. Gideon did it. David defeated Goliath. And we can help young people defeat the giants of our day. Hallelujah. God can give each person, each young person, the strength to overcome every attack of the enemy and preserve them for his purposes. Again, Wendell Smith writes, young people ruled by their own sins and weaknesses become incompetent or poor citizens in their society and contribute to the reproach and moral decay of a nation. But get this, young people who conquer sin and temptation tend to become leaders in their society and bring stability and honour to their nation. You can change a generation and when you change a generation, you can change a nation. Amen. I think that's good. Parents, Church members, church leaders, we need to pass on the baton. This does not mean that we are irrelevant. It does not mean that God can no longer use us. In fact, it means that he wants to use us more. We just get to do so with a bit more wisdom, right? Young Christians, you need those who've gone before you to teach you, train you, and believe in you we need each other we need each other there's no irrelevant christian except the one who removes himself or herself from the purposes of god this is so important these are old stats but let me shock you anyway 85 percent of people come to christ by the age of 15 Sadly, that trend, I haven't got the figures here, but that trend is something like three in five or something walk away from God by the age of 20. Which tells me that the family that we're a part of is not, is not as attractive to be able to overcome the challenges of the world. So we've got to do better. Only one in 10,000 people will come to Christ after the age of 30. If you came to Christ after the age of 30, good on you, i just so impressed every time. That's why I look at you and I'm like, that's amazing. Because it's the reality. You think about this one. Only one in 750,000 will come to Christ after the age of 75. I think we've got a unique opportunity in this day and age while the devil's scheme to keep our youth in this position he's also schemed to keep us from thinking about our older generations as well and i think we've got a unique opportunity i've been praying and hoping and believing that we would have a seniors ministry rise up in this church because seniors are relevant and seniors need the gospel If you think you've got an idea or want to pray into that with me, I'd love you to partner with me in that. But I've sown the sea with Pastor Rodney, and I tell you what—he's loving. He wants to get into the nursing homes, and what an opportunity! I think nurses have some of the best opportunities, and paramedics and stuff in the world because they get to 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 sit with those who are dying, and they can share the love of Christ with them. You know what I mean, like. I just think we we we've got a perfect opportunity there to minister. Like that's a terrible number, one in seven hundred and fifty thousand. Imagine if it was the other way around. Come on. We need to get a strategy to reach both the old and the young. And I tell you what, it begins with prayer. Many of the older generations are giving up, when really we should be refiring, so that those within our generations will not be lost. That's in the church. Isn't it? We can't give up. Your day's not done. Whatever you've got breath in your lungs. It, it, Psalm 71, I opened with that. And, and then I went into Acts 13, and it talked about David. When he had fulfilled his purpose in his generation, he fell asleep in the Lord. When he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. Breath in your lungs means you're alive. Amen? You're alive. What are you alive for? To fulfill the purpose of God in your life, in your generation, and in the generation after you. So if you pass on the baton and the next generation runs with the things that you're teaching them and cheering them on for, you've still got a purpose. Amen? Amen? you still got relevance. You've still got something that can go uh, to to empower people and, and see the kingdom of God advance. Why? Because you've got breath in your lungs. And while ever you've got breath in your lungs, you can serve the purposes of God. And yet, older people are in are in that stage. While younger people are looking and and testing boundaries and doing all that sort of stuff, older people are finding that they're not finding security and they're not being... Utilized, they're being underutilized. But you've got breath in your lungs. You've got experiences to share. You've got prayers to pray. You've got Holy Ghost to minister. You've got passion to fire up. This is what it is to be truly a generational church. And, and this is my prayer, that you will capture what I'm saying here. Because we need to be firing on the things of God. And not just sitting back and waiting for Jesus to return or for him to take me home. Both the younger and the older, together. This is our aim. Young people, this is what you can do towards the older people in the church. You need to honour and respect them. Honour and respect go a long way. If you want to remain teachable... I talk to everybody now. Begin with honour and respect. Honour and respect them. Even if they smell like mothballs. It's no different for us older people who might need to go down to the dumpster, the rubbish bin, and pull someone out off the streets who's got a needle in their arm who might smell like rubbish. Don't let a person's looks, their attitudes, their practices, don't let that stop you from sharing the love of God. Respect and honour goes both ways, right? Need to be open to learn from the older generation. What does that mean? It means you can ask them to teach you. Learn from their stories. Need to allow them to contribute and serve. Because in that, you're communicating that they've got something that you want to see and a partner with. You need to reach out, that should say out, to the growing older population and win them for Jesus. So you've got to, as young people, think cross-generationally as well. One of the ideas that Pastor Rodney's got, and I love it, but COVID stopped it, is we were going to begin a service at Bupa, uh, not Bupa, at, um, over here at Pioneer. Midweek in the th- on a Thursday, and he had he was taking um, the high school students with him from the school. Why? I think actually it was originally it was going to be the primary students um, because they could then sit like and have that grandma grandfather kind of talk and that. But what an amazing picture, right? The young and the old sitting together, having a biscuit and a glass of cordial together. You know, I think that's beautiful. Um, So young people, you've got a responsibility. Older people, we've got one as well. We've got to love and respect the the delinquent. Yeah? I, I said this in the first service, and I want to say it here too. We've got to choose to be people like the father in the story of the prodigal son, and not like the older brother. There are people in this room who have older children, who are out in the world working on their testimony at the moment. Yeah? Who aren't following the plans of Jesus in their life. So they're living in the prodigal lifestyle. And I can tell you, when that child comes home, because they will come home, I want them coming home to a church life and a family life that embraces them like the father and doesn't look at their guilt and the things that they've been up to, but looks at them and says, let's go and, fat, let's go and slay the fattened calf. Let's go and celebrate that my son who was lost has now come home. Not be like the older brother despising them. What were you doing over there? You know what I mean? Like We've got to, we've got to choose to be like that. And, and, and that's part of church culture. If we can't change church culture, people will never return home. And you are praying for your sons and daughters to come home. Amen? So let's, let's start acting like that. Let's, let's be that kind of person to someone else's son and daughter and then let's see it happening for our sons and daughters as well. So we need to love and respect them. We need to seek to be relevant towards them. Okay? That's a little bit of work for some people. But for others, it's very easy to be, remain relevant. Um, just think about how your story might, might be relevant to them today. And I can tell you guys, those of you that grew up watching Happy Days and and Greece, uh, the story is exactly the same. You're still all trying to chase fast cars and a bit of tail, right? So it's all the same story, okay? Talk about it and let them see how Jesus turned you around from being that. Nothing new under the sun, amen? We need to pray for our younger people. Encourage them and teach them the ways of God. Again, not condescending, but in a way that encourages and exhorts them. And lastly, we need to seek to reach out to those who don't know Christ. See how it's, from a cross-generational perspective, it's all of our responsibilities. It's not just the younger, amen? My conclusion is this. Let's dwell together in a spirit of unity, understanding God's purposes for his generation, the generation of the righteous. Mark Connor says, we must live with a passion and and watchfulness as if Jesus may return today. We may be the last generation, however we must live with the wisdom and foresight that allows for the fact that we may not be the last generation and therefore we must prepare the next generation to embrace the purposes of God. Let's make a generation shift together. Let's stand to our feet. These are the five things to finish off our series that will help us to implement an action plan. All right, We've done this throughout the whole seven shifts, so let's finish with this one. Personal action plan. Something that you can do outside of those first ones that we gave. Reach out to children and young people in your church. What does that mean? Reach out to them. Encourage them. Help them. Get involved in children's ministry and, and youth ministry. Get involved in young adult ministry because you might have a fear of them but you've got something to contribute. So you've got to reach out, okay? Number two, reach out to elderly people in your church and help them to feel special. Make them a cup of tea, cup of coffee, sit with them. Ask them questions, get them talking, get them sharing about what songs they were listening to when they first came to Christ. I'll tell you, you'll start hearing their stories very well. Number three, have a tolerant attitude toward different generations and their styles and preferences. Try to understand people who are different from you and appreciate their uniqueness. Yeah. Number four, think about the older people who have influenced your life positively. I love this. Write them a letter of thanks. Buy them a gift or do something special for them to show your appreciation. Isn't that nice? And then lastly, be an example to younger people and seek to influence them for God. Begin by praying for them. Young people, don't just help the little old lady over the road. Carry her groceries, take them inside for her. Share the love of Jesus. Older people, look at that young person who's in the corner crying or is sitting away from their parents and wants nothing to do with them and reach out and just love them. It's really not difficult, is it? And you'll be fulfilling the purposes of God for them and for you in this generation. Let's pray. See, how about you just put your hand on the person next to you? That's all right today. It's not bad to pray for one another, is it? I, I love that you guys prayed for each other this morning in our worship time. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, we want to be a church that reflects you and your purposes. We want to be a church of power and of influence. A church that is relevant cross-generationally. We want to be separate from the world in that we are the righteousness of Christ. We want to be in the world that the world will see the only answer is Christ. We're not unaware of the devil's schemes. But Lord, help us to remain like Roadrunner, fixed and focused on you, knowing the purposes at hand. Knowing that your promise of protection is always with us and helping us when we stumble. Lord, we are victorious. We are called. We are a royal priesthood. We are a generation of the righteous and we are filled with purpose. Holy Spirit, across this room, I release the purposes of the kingdom of God in the people's hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we connect with you through the music and praise today, that you will remind us of where you've brought us from and that from a place of gratitude and thanksgiving, we will sing praises to our God. And in praising God, we will be no longer, Lord, concerned with the schemes of the devil trying to pull us down, but that we will be focused on the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that our stories, when they come back to us, Lord, they will come back as crisp and as real as they were, as if they happened just yesterday. Lord, that they would come with power, because the word says in Revelation that they overcame him by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we stand true to the calling that we are yours. And we ask, empower us to reveal you in a real and relevant way. I pray for the young people in this house, those who are here and those, Lord, who have not been able to make it today. I pray, Lord, for protection over them, Protect their minds. Protect their hearts. Draw them to your word. Lord, I I stand against any spirit of witchcraft, any spirit of suicide, and I stand against, in the authority of Jesus Christ, any scheme that is formed against our young ones, and I call it to null and void in the name of Jesus. You cannot touch our young people. Rebellion, you leave now, and you do not come back. Father, for the precious young ones, may they connect with the love of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. Help us to raise up a generation, Lord, that will see the mighty hand of God. Father, for us, who are starting to feel a little bit older, who are starting to have those aches in our bodies, we're thinking, Lord, it's almost done and it's time to hand it over and, and go and retire on a deserted island. That's not your purpose, Lord. Convict our heart. Father, even now, breathe a fresh anointing of your spirit in our lives. Refire us, Lord. Let us never burn out. Fan into flame the gift that you have put upon our life that we may step into it with the fullness of a surety. That Jesus wins. Father, I pray that we would have a conviction in our heart and authority in our words. And Lord, let there be honor and respect in the house. Father, I just release a spirit of love and joy and righteousness and revelation over our lives right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you that you accepted us. You put a robe on us and a new ring on our finger. You cleansed us. And you love us. From that place, Lord, we humble ourselves to you. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said.